Welcome to Bright Perspective. I'm Karina Wingle, Director of Marketing here at DePosco, and today I'm talking with Justin Stone, our Senior Vice President of Business Development. We'll be looking back on a reflection of how COVID has changed the value of supply chain one year later. So as we know, like supply chains really come up as a, you know, almost a hot kind of thing this past year with businesses, with everyone being stuck at home and needing things shipped to them. Um, what would you say are some of the monumental things that, that happened during this past year that really kind of brought it to businesses' attention? Yeah, um, you know, certainly the obvious answer there is direct to consumer and, you know, being able to uh, get your goods to the end consumers uh, in a you know fast and reliable way, and in many ways, you know, the organic evolution that's been occurring uh, over the last ten years towards direct to consumer you know, just really sped up you know maybe about two years um, in advance, and so we all saw what 2022 and 2023 were supposed to look like in 2020 from that shift from retail to direct to consumer because it had to. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, what can happen amid, um, you know, pandemics and the need for humans to kind of get their uh, supplies into their house. So, uh, you know, with that said, direct to consumer was a big trend whether it was consumer products related or uh, you know, it, whether it was related to even third-party logistics businesses that had to cater to their consumers who were shifting from uh, uh, selling just to retailers and distributors to now going direct to consumer. And so that, that pivot was, was, was certainly there. Um, when you look at that though, and kind of continuing that thought process, uh, certainly nimbleness and uh, flexibility were also a big component of that. And how fast were companies able to adapt to the new environments in 2020, whether it was spinning up new direct-to-consumer sites or uh, you know, taking their products and placing them into marketplaces for which consumers were shopping. Um, you know, that, that was also a very big trend. And because of that, you know, the, the people, the process, the technology side in the supply chain world were very strained. If you didn't have uh, the processes to support it or the technology, you know, that could also pivot with you. And so, uh, you know, in, in those terms, um, 2020 really took a leap forward uh, by two to three years. Um, so, yeah. And that's interesting that, I guess it wasn't something that was a priority before because you would think how so many people are ordering online now, you know, looking in store, potentially ordering online line later, that that would be more of a priority beforehand, but with COVID having sped that up, um, yeah. that's interesting. Would you say that some of the other trends that I think were expected for more of maybe 2022, 2023, or earlier on the horizon now, like everything's maybe been sped up or that people are just really trying to adapt to something they weren't ready for? Yeah, that's a good question. And I, I would say yes. Um, you know, where we've been uh, with supply chain, a mix omnichannel and uh, multi-channel, 
know, a number of those trends um, have certainly pulled forward, whether it was buy online curbside and buy online pickup in store. And the, the winners that you're seeing there are really carving the templates for the rest of the industry to follow, whether you're talking about like Target, I think was a huge winner out of all of that because of their ability to adapt quickly. Um, but when you see the rest of the industry, not everybody was able to adapt in such a quick way. And we're still primarily in this execution phase of uh, the kind of evolution of supply chain towards direct to consumer. So what that really means is the challenges that businesses are uh, grappling with are grappling with today are uh, really those execution based fulfillment challenges. And you know if you if you look at history and you look at where supply chain is even going to the future, um, as you start to resolve those execution-based problems, the next thing becomes visibility and planning and the ability to capture metrics and make you know, those incremental improvements. And so um, where we thought, like for example, forecasting and demand planning and the new kind of uh, adaptation of that was a few years off, that's now much closer to the forefront because businesses have had to, again, adapt and be nimble. And now part of that is um, not being able to plan so far into the future and want to be able to do that in a much more flexible way. So um, I believe that that's also coming forward with it and has sped up the, the organic growth there as well. Yeah, yeah, no, and I would agree. I read something the other day with um, how more businesses are now keeping more stock in their warehouses in planning for that and having that on hand. And I guess, are we kind of seeing a shift in that with people trying to with their planning, but also doing more, I think of a backstock than before, just because of the depletion that kind of happened, the great depletion of toilet paper, paper towels and hand sanitizer and all those, those items. Yeah, certainly, um, you know, planning for, um, you know, demand spikes is, is something that, uh, you know, the industry will have to account for moving forward in the past, it was uh, very difficult to do because you had to plan 12 months in advance. Whereas now, arguably, the way that that's probably going is uh, not only can you, um, you know, go to your suppliers and do so in smaller time chunks and purchasing chunks, but also, you know, can you, um, you know, can you, uh, how do I want to say this, like, can you uh, procure from other either competitors or suppliers in the space that can do the fulfillment on your behalf? So like a greater visibility uh, to the network of um, supplies. You know, take for example, in the toilet paper world, like if you were a retailer and trying to source toilet paper and you were going to P&G or Georgia Pacific or whoever it is in order to obtain the toilet paper. Well, that's a traditional channel and they're only gonna allocate so much to you because they're allocating out to you know, their entire customer base. And uh, it, when, when there is something like a pandemic and everybody's got their allocation, you, it's hard to move allocations around. The more modern uh, 
uh, retail merchant, what have you, uh, should and could and can be able to procure on the fly from other sources as long as they've got visibility to it. You know, it's it's tough to say in the toilet paper world because everybody needed toilet paper, but in the general sense, you could say the same thing about like the hot pair of shoes in the market. And, you know, you only have your certain allocation from a Nike or an Adidas, whereas, you know, if it's not selling as hot in the Northwest, but you have visibility to that inventory, you know, can you go and procure it really quick and fast to, to um, temporarily sustain those gaps in your inventory so that you're not just having to hold backstock and have greater square footage of warehouse space in order to, to manage that. Because the trend is smaller square footage, more distributed throughout the country to be closer to the customers. Got it, got it. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Um, and then something that we've, I know we've also still been seeing as, as a consumer, like this weekend looking at looking for a new bed frame or whatnot, they're still backlogged in a lot of their items. They're still like, oh, it can take up to eight weeks, you know, till this comes in or, you know, three months. And for it being a whole year later from the pandemic, a lot of suppliers seem to still be struggling and catching up on orders or getting back into that rhythm. Um, mm-hmm. When do you expect to kind of estimate that people might start to see things go back to before COVID or, or if they will, even in general, will some suppliers like auto and furniture suppliers ever kind of catch up on that? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's more a question of, uh, do they have the, the people, the technology, and even the process to get back there? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're going to see, you know, the, the winners win and the losers lose, as simple as that sounds. Um, those that were not prepared um, may never recover from that. And, and those that uh, were very prepared are gonna increase their ability to serve customers and gain market share. And there'll probably be some in the middle that go either way. And that's, that's likely you know, the, the war ground, if you will, or the wild west of where, um, you know, I think a lot of people are focusing, but um, yeah, that said, I, I just don't know. It's it's tough to say, but I do think that you're going to see the gap widen in winners and losers. And then I guess going forward, as as we know, this past year has been really hot for supply chain. Do you kind of see that maybe as a continuing trend that businesses are going to always evaluate kind of going forward or do you see it as something that might start to kind of fade in the background again and other marketing type of priorities kind of come back to the forefront? Yeah, I would say historically it has been cyclical, but when you look at the role that supply chain plays, you know, historically it's been geared towards, um, you know, to the operating margin and, cost savings in the way of, you know, increasing the EBITDA of a business, let's say. Um, Whereas now, I think many more people appreciate the link of supply chain to the revenue side as well, and the ability to generate cash flows on the revenue side. And so, uh, 
because of that, I believe that it's going to be here to stay for a lot longer, um, especially in a direct-to-consumer world and where there's a number of ways to service your consumer. You know, no longer is it just about the economies of scale like we've always talked about. Uh, and, you know, can you do it for cheaper than, than your competitor and gain a competitive advantage around a low-cost provider? But now the competitive advantage is also in your ability to go to market with your goods and do so in an optimized way. And to do that means you have to know who your consumers are much more so it's, it's, and you know, this as a marketer, it's, it's less, um, you know, marketing, uh, from a general push. And now we have so much data on our consumers. You can be very specific. And that includes all of the data on how they shop and how they want fulfillment uh, to happen for them. And, you know, how many returns do they have? You know, is Karina the type of shopper that buys 10 items and returns eight because, you know, she's going to keep two. These are all the things that from a competitive advantage perspective um, really revolve around supply chain. And so I think the supply chain um, executives and leaders are gaining a place at the table because of that. And I don't, I don't think that's going anywhere. Yeah. And I think, I think that's definitely an interesting point. And as a marketer working in supply chain and having not worked in it before, kind of seeing that importance. And I think how marketers are now realizing it's something that they need to pay attention to because it's part of that customer experience and that customer journey of, can we do two day shipping? Can we show the tracking, you know, customer on average will check their order three to five times to see where it's at and the status and being exactly. able to provide that visibility all goes back to the supply chain and how that is part of your differentiation um, against your competitors and the experience your customers having with you online. So yeah, hundred percent. So um, yeah, so I would agree. And then I guess with that, so those are some of the, the trends that are kind of probably continuing on. Um, are there any other trends that you think may have, arose this past year because of COVID that are kind of going away or that you don't see as um, continuing that a lot of people were doing? Um, I wouldn't say it, it's very far off from what we've talked about. I think those are the prevailing trends. Um, you know, that said, it's, it's interesting. I don't know that like buy online curbside is going anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, that was something I didn't see necessarily coming, but you know, now that most uh, consumers have experienced it, that there's really no need to go into the store. Um, I think that that has a long ways to go. It's got a long tail of the actual kind of service that you can provide customers and that experience. Uh, I think we're just scratching the surface of that in a way. Um, so I'm interested to see what continues to develop around that. Yeah, that is an interesting one that I never thought of because if you're driving to the store already, you would think you have to go in to get it. But the curbside, yeah. I don't even have to get out of my pajamas, out of my car, <laughs> just open yeah. the trunk and you load it and it's, it's good to go. And that's, yeah, definitely. From a customer service perspective, it's, you know, it's interesting, right? Because you've got a customer that's sitting in their car waiting for their goods, not able to experience what's in the store, but... Um, very much 
you know, needs the customer service and the good, good uh, experience in order to come back and do it again. But once you have the customer coming back, like what are the other services that you can wrap around that? Yeah. You know, what are the other partnerships that you can bring to the table? I just think like things like Target and Starbucks, like, can you, I don't know that you can, I haven't seen, but could you order like Starbucks while you're sitting there waiting for your target order and have them bring it out to you as well? Uh, I mean, who knows, right? Like these are the types of things that I think will start to further differentiate. You know, you look at like Kohl's, they just announced a partnership with um, Sephora and they're putting like Sephora stores in at Kohl's. So not only are you able to say, go to Kohl's and return your Amazon packages for free shipping back to Amazon. And they did that a couple of years ago, but now they're putting more of an experience around Sephora to draw like a younger crowd and to maybe expose that crowd in a way that ups, you know, the consumers um, buying, uh, buying, um, not experience, but, you know, the um, number of items that they buy, you know, otherwise you're pulling in customers that you may not have had. So, you know, those types of things. And then you mix like curbside of that. What does that really mean in terms of all these partnerships that are going on, especially at department stores and in the retail level? Um, I, again, I really think we're just scratching the surface there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's an interesting point that you brought up the, with how a lot of brands are starting to kind of come together and work together, especially the, you know, the big real um, retailers like Macy's and stuff. I was actually in a yeah. mall this weekend, which I haven't been in a mall and I don't know how long, but actually was in one and uh, went into Macy's and like, you know, they have like a free people and a lucky brand and like all these little pop-up shots of other brands yeah. that are now inside of it that I'm like, wow, this actually appeals to me a little bit more because I don't have to go to you know, the Sephora or the free people store or the lucky store, I can do it all in one location. And I think that's something like with the curbside that we're going to start seeing a lot of those big retailers who have so much space start to kind of become a little more innovative in that with smaller brands. The real battleground that's going to come up from all this, I think is like customer data, Mm. like who, who owns the customer data, because from a marketing perspective, the gold is in, your consumer data and how you market to any individual customer um, and the the targeting and the segments that you go after and how you position to those customers. And, you know, all of this is leading to a battleground on the data side. And, you know, a big component of that is um, the supply chain and, you know, how you interact with customers at that execution level, not just, at the customer facing level on the website or what have you, or, you know, on the marketing level and the type of say advertising that you do for customers, but you know, where are you mining that data from? A lot of it sits at the supply chain layer outside of just the customer facing layer. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess we're, um, we're wrapping up on time soon, but I wanted to ask, I guess, as, as a company with, um, you know, maybe they went to the D2C, they had the whole supply chain revolution trend this year and started, you know, maybe they never did direct to consumer and they were a big brand. What, I know you touched on forecasting, but what are some other things that those brands should be looking at this year as supply chain continues to be a trend um, that businesses need to consider at the table? 
Yeah. Um, from a technology perspective, uh, you know, I, I think order management is still a, a big uh, fundamental pillar of um, any retail, any uh, CPG, any 3PL that servicing in that direct-to-consumer market. Um, because of the inventory of visibility, the segmentation of that inventory and how you allocate it, um, you know, that's got to be nimble and it's got to be flexible, like we talked about. And then the ability to go source that particular order in the most optimal way, whether it's cost related, um, you know, the ability to, uh, you know, to be flexible on the shipping method. I don't know if you saw the big barge that's stuck in the Suez Canal yes. and is holding up billion dollars of commerce a day. But let's say that was your inventory on the water. What are you doing? Right. All of a sudden, you've got to be able to rewrite all of your inventory allocation rules to source and make sure you're supporting your customers who aren't going to be as patient and just know that your goods are on the Suez Canal. Yeah. Uh, order management, in addition to forecasting, is, is a big component of that. Yeah, and that's, and that's how you're gonna be able to, you know, as we know in supply chain, like save costs, get it to the customer faster, all part of that experience still at the same time. So I think that's a good a good point to bring up because I think a lot of businesses look at warehouse management systems and are like, okay, I'm fulfilling, but that order management is kind of that next level of optimization with multiple locations and the full that's right. enterprise inventory visibility. Yep. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Justin, for the time. Really appreciate it. Um, I think got some good, good insights here on the trends and kind of what's been going on. And um, yeah, thank you.